Hi, Cole here, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. It's been a long summer, but the leaves once again fall, and with autumn comes longer nights that beg for darker tales. And to fill those long, cold evenings, I've launched a brand new podcast called Tiny Terrors. Tiny Terrors is a nostalgic horror anthology series that is as fun as it is dark. Join three friends as they delve into a forgotten corner of storytelling history and bring to light the darker depths yet still hidden in those often untraveled corners. Subscribe, listen, and review Tiny Terrors wherever you listen to podcasts. The Town Whispers is a narrative horror podcast that will tell the many stories hidden behind the rain the fog and the trees of a town called the fort. Events that take place in the fort are not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Two men in tandem strode through town. In front was Alderman Lapont, each one of his steps a long stride, with an easy air of authority. His boots were black leather and styled in the Hessian fashion. They were pristine, just like his stiff collar was immaculate, and the fountain of hair upon his head sat carefully preened and quaffed. Absolute confidence emanated from his pearly white smile and his gaze confessed its own arrogance without offense to all those who met it. In contrast, following in his broad stride was Dr. Keenly, who wore a wrinkled frock under a petticoat worn nearly threadbare. His stern practicality was often mistaken for casual cruelty. The pair of them certainly made an odd sight as they arrived at the doorstep of Alderman McCormick. Alderman LaPont. Good day, Alderman McCormick. And what, pray tell, sees you at my door this day? Well, I've brought the physician round. Good day. Hmm. How thoughtful. But I'm feeling well enough without one. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I see that. No. I've brought the physician round to attend to Richter Collins. Well, come in then. He's restrained in the second bedroom. Restrained? Naturally. Is his illness causing fits? I'm unaware of any fits. Then why have you confined and restrained the poor man? Well, I know nothing of the illness he has, whether it is a contagion, and can be passed from person to person. That is quite unlikely. Better to err on the side of caution. And the restraints? Well, that would be on account of the murder. Oh. Yes. Right. Ugh. He did quite a number on that Joshua Muller lad. Oh, 
the poor Muller family. Indeed. And of course they've been notified, correct? Of course. Where is the cadaver being stored? Well, I'm not sure, actually. I think it's most likely being prepared for burial. I would rather like to examine it. Why, may I ask? It was a murder, and you are a doctor. I believe your job ends when the breathing stops. Or am I mistaken? (laughs) Sometimes that is the case, and other times it is not. I'll see to it that you have ample time to examine the body, Doctor. Well, that's the door. Go on in, and when you're finished, call for me and I will see you out. I would also like to be made aware if anything of interest comes to light in your examination of Richter Collins. Yes, yes, naturally. Alderman McCormick flared his nostrils and flicked an equally smug glare, returning in kind the sourness of Dr. Keenly's subtle dismissal. Well, I'll see myself off then. The room in which Richter was held, where Alderman McCormick had so kindly housed him, strapping him to the bed with makeshift rawhide bindings, smelt earthy and sour like fermented muck. By all appearances, the bedroom was clean and orderly, It was decorated with trinkets and frames filled with pictures painted for vain posterity. Thick white paint had been dashed and smothered on the hammered wood plank walls to hide the imperfections of pioneer carpentry. It was a room like the rest of the house that yearned to look wealthy. Alderman LaPont stepped softly to Richter's bedside and placed his hands on the mattress as he leaned over the sleeping, sickly man as if to examine him more closely and by doing so divine something unseen. Well, he sleeps soundly for a man resting on corn husks and straw. Now, you'd think given how the Alderman would so dearly love to be seen, He would not allow his guests to rest on such shoddy beds. Dr. Keenly seated himself on a hand-carved stool next to the bed. Richter looked lifeless for all those who would have come to know and love the man for his rosy cheeks and lively demeanor. What do you see when you look at him? Oh, a pitiful man. That's all? Oh, Ho 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 A game, is it? Dr. Keenly did not respond, merely gesturing to the man, unconscious in bed. Well, he... he certainly looks unwell, and he's awfully hot to the touch. I find it hard to imagine that if he was ill, that he would have the strength to gut a man, let alone the boar. You assume he was ill well before he was found this morning? Well, from what I know, illness is not a strike of lightning, but lays roots in the blood. And you are certain he is ill? Well, it would certainly look that way. Does it now? Come now, you're making me think otherwise while being awfully coy with any answers. I'd like to conduct an extended observation. And you're sure there are answers to glean? That he isn't just sick, down with the flu, 
There are answers to be had here, in this room, but not ones that reveal themselves in ways that would be observable in motion to the human eye within a single day or moment in time. I am going now to observe and examine the corpse of Joshua Muller. You are welcome to come. I'd be more than happy to deconstruct the young man and give you a lesson in anatomy. <laughs> as wonderful an offer as that sounds, I'd best be on my own way. I'll arrange it with Alderman McCormick so that he is not to disturb you when you return. But when should I say that will be? Daily. <laughs> or nightly. It all depends on Richter Collins. Right. Well, I'll have it sorted. The next day before the first light, Dr. Keenly arrived at the home of Alderman McCormick once again to observe his patient. He made his way down the corridor and into the room where poor Richter lay, seating himself once again on the stool he'd allocated as his the day before, and clasped his hands as he rested his elbows on his knees. His furrowed brow framed inquisitive eyes, brimming with so much curiosity there seemed too little room for any humanity. Hmm. Wherever are you, Richter? Where has your slumber taken you? What secrets are you learning in that most perfect place? Hmm? From his pocket, Dr. Keenly materialized a pin and intently observed for any physiological response as he jammed the needle deep into Richter's flesh and swiftly withdrew it with the same morbid enthusiasm. The patient, Richter Collins, remains beset by a coma of unknown origin. His pallor has not improved, and there is no response from outside influence such as light or physical pain. The nail bed of the patient's index finger measures 12.8 millimeters, showing no signs of abnormality. Although, upon closer inspection, the hairline is experiencing significant loss from the centre-left of his widow peak to the top of his ear and back. 2.1 centimetres. Not unlikely that this could be due to shock or undue stress, but worth noting. Perhaps... With the aid of friction lights, perhaps I will observe some semblance of consciousness triggered by a sensitivity to heat, which has been observed in hibernating mammals. Hmm. An imbalance of the humors, organ inflammation. Could there be an irregular convulsive action of the blood vessels restricting blood flow to the brain? Procure leeches for depletion therapy. With seemingly no progress to be made, Dr. Keenly packed up for the day, leaving Richter alone in his bed, unconscious and unaware. Night came with little rest for the small town physician. 
His legs were filled with fitful energy and the chaotic unease of unanswered questions plucked at the tendons in his knees. Unable to contain himself, no longer content to stride the planks of his floor, he needed miles beneath his feet, he needed fresh air, he needed the chill of a cold wind to cool his frustrations and tempers. With no other avenue to ease the stinging bite of curiosity, Dr. Keenly plunged into the night, leaving behind the safety of his room, assisted only by the unsatisfying light of a lantern swinging in his outstretched hand. There was no help that could be summoned, no other minds to aid in his pursuit. The fort was a small frontier town with only a handful of years since its founding and with little resources but what had been brought, built, or scavenged from the land around them. The first time Dr. Keenly had heard of the fort, he'd read about it in a letter, one which had been addressed to him personally and not to his mentor of great acclaim under which he stayed smothered and hidden for so many years. The envelope arrived stained with earth and sweat. Its face had been covered in stamps marking the stops along its journey. Its shabby mystique felt special. Its wrinkles and stains stood apart from the stack of self-congratulatory correspondence his mentor received regularly, and how impossibly far it had gone to arrive in his hand. What a gift simply receiving that letter had been, reluctant to spoil the expectation and fantasy of whatever its contents might be. A younger Dr. Keenly opened it with hesitant hands. Dear Dr. Keenly, we, the Fort's town council, have heard such wonderful anecdotes of your genius, and with credit to your distinguished sterling reputation, would like to offer you a position within the Fort as our physician. The letter continued with further flattery, offering him a hand-selected claim, a home free of charge, and promise of a career, and a future, which to him seemed otherwise unattainable. That letter was hope for a young doctor, cemented firmly in a never-ending preceptorship or an aging, fraudulent physician who sought to drain him of all his worth. Foolishly, he had not once questioned how it had come to be that the town council of a ramshackle pioneer town, one that for one reason or another had not been amalgamated into the great and greedy Hudson Bay Company's land holdings, a town which somehow stood alone, surrounded by land gobbled up whole by the crown, had come to know of him. The letter had swayed him with spells of recognition and respect. Dr. Keenly arrived with little expectation. But even the hypotheticals of his wandering mind over the course of that long and often unreasonably dangerous journey had done the fort too much credit. No books, no culture, not even sickness to tie his idle hands in work. Only his isolation and desperate loneliness kept him company in his new home on his expansive estate. It was there, far from the world he'd known in an intellectual desert of never-ending rains and hulking cedar trees that Dr. Keenly's mind turned sour. He had felt it happen, and he had pondered each barbaric thought and entertained each butcherous daydream, and Dr. Keenly welcomed them. There would be little else for him in the fort if he did not suckle that realized freedom from bureaucratic oversight. That, at the very least, would be a lovely byproduct of his isolation, 
The puritanical morality of antiquity which still persisted and permeated the governing bodies which could and insistently, persistently would tell him what was and wasn't off-limits in regards to his practice had no method to govern him in the fort. The anti-vivisection petitioners of the East could do little to stop his studies. Ah, yes. Dr. Keenly had polished a small edge of that rotten place and found the hint of a silver lining. Dr. Keenly smelt it first before he saw it, and only at the last minute did it come into view right at his feet before he tripped. The monster... The beast, the berserking boar. How it hadn't been burned or buried with the question of illness circulating through town was baffling. The entirety of its corpse lay there already gutted and ready for examination. Childlike and unafraid of the filth, Dr. Keenly threw his lantern down and kneeled in the earth. The wet quickly seeped through the knees of his trousers. His skin tightened and the hairs on his arms and the back of his neck raised. What gave him goosebumps was not the cold. It was the electrical excitement that set his heart pounding in his chest. The boar is of an unnatural size and girth. The epidermis of the orbital region is inflamed, leaving the eyes looking sunken. Yet I see a cranial pressure has distended the ocular orb. Hmm, regional albinism seems to have left the belly more translucent than would be considered normal. Placing my fingers beneath the skin, entering through the wound inflicted by the patient, Richter Collins, it is possible to see by even a dim lantern light the outline of my fingers through the hide. A mania gripped as he poked and prodded the corpse, taking rough measurements of hooves and teeth, using the knuckles of his fingers as a crude instrument to gather what knowledge he could, all the while calling out each observation in the style of the medical theaters he missed so dearly. The tincture of the viscous liquid that has been freed from the corpse by a single rough incision made two days previous leads one to believe that the beast suffered from some foul corruption. More interestingly, the advanced state of nature's reclamation of the flesh is startling, to say the least. Hmm. What looks to be an established mycelial network has bloomed within the distended belly, resembling with astounding accuracy a secondary network of blood vessels and arteries. Dr. Keenly continued his disturbing inquiry late into the night, until his lantern gave its last flicker and all went black, and when it did, Dr. Keenly simply sat beside the corpse waiting patiently and reciting all he had learned over and over in his head. When daylight broke, Dr. Keenly reached his hand forward and ran his fingers against the grain of the hog's matted fur. As I suspected, 
Standing for the first time in hours, he felt his bones made brittle by the cold crack and pop back into place before he headed back into town. Ah, good morning, Doctor. You look as though you've had quite an eventful night. I have had a most revelatory experience. With answers regarding our friend Richter Collins, I trust. Indeed. Oh, please do go on. By all accounts, Richter Collins is well enough that he should have woken from his coma. At first, I thought perhaps organ inflammation was to blame, brought on by the stress and cold, perhaps a surplus of bad blood or an overactive bile duct. And that wasn't the case. Well, I had thought it was, and resolved myself to provide depletion therapy using leeches to suck out any ill biles that might have enriched his blood with toxins. But the question remained that if any of these were to be the cause of his fever and coma, then they should be evident through even the most elementary examination. Reddened veins, bloating of the belly. So, then none of those reasons could be the cause? Well, certainly they might have been, but I believe I found something wholly more unique. Bothered by the lack of visual evidence to suggest the more common causes of illness one would find for his particular condition, I decided it best to examine the boar. The boar? You assured me the boar carried no illness that could be contracted by Richter. And there is no illness. Then what would there be? Fungi mycelium. As in mushrooms? Yes, yes. Well, more specifically, I found a mycelial network. The mycelium is the vegetative part of a fungus, usually consisting, well, almost always consisting of a network of fine white filaments. Almost always? Examining the abdominal cavity, I discovered an advanced mycelial network. At first, I assumed it had occurred post-mortem, but upon further mapping, I discovered that indeed the mycelial network was not at all natural. How so? It had fully emulated the circulatory system of the beast. Emulated? Yes, yes, it mimicked the circulatory system of the abdominal cavity. And I can only assume it extends into the thoracic cavity and beyond. A second system of veins and arteries. But beyond that, I have hypothesized that the erratic behavior of the beast was due to a secondary nervous system by which whatever fungal intrusion plagued the beast dictated its behavior and movement. Oh, ho, ho, ho. That is wonderfully fascinating. My thoughts exactly. And which brings me back to Richter Collins. It was reported that when Richter was found, the darkened, viscous, blood-like substitute I examined near the body was splashed across his face, 
If it were to have entered into his bloodstream through the eyes or mouth, the same fungal mycelial intrusion may be colonizing his body as we speak. And that would account for the fever? It assuredly would, as well as the hair loss. The elevated temperature of the body may be due to the mycelial network influencing the regulation of his body to provide the perfect environment to propagate the fungal spread. And the sudden hair loss I have documented in Richter, I observed in the afflicted boar as well. Beneath the concentrations of thick fur, I found what appeared to be lichen blooms. Lichen, you say? Indeed. I once spent a semester reading the papers of Eric Acarius. His work opened wide the doors of biology, creating a whole separate field of study called mycology, wholly devoted to the study of these curious forest floor ornaments and their odd nature. I believe what is happening to Richter Collins is a type of metamorphosis and an extension of Acarius's work. I believe what intrusion existed within the beast and what now hypothetically grows in Richter is a new form of lichenized fungus. A parasite looking to form a mutually beneficial bond with its host. And you are certain of this? Admittedly, lichen and their finer workings, as well as the mycelial studies and what fungi are present in this part of the world are unknown to me. But given the opportunity, I would not like to allow for further knowledge to pass us by for fear of the unknown. Well, what do you propose? If, no, when Richter Collins wakes, I want to allow him his freedom so as to observe his behavior and impending changes. That is quite the dangerous proposition. What if his behavior is changed and deranged as it was with the boar? And say what of the murder? Say it was not so, and simply silence whoever may need to be silenced. But will he not be a danger to others? The afflicted boar caused quite the stir already. A paltry price to pay. All right, then. You let him loose, and I will see to it that the townsfolk are convinced that Joshua died of his own clumsy nature. Perhaps he fell upon his own blade, overjoyed to rescue his dear friend. But... I must warn you, others may be afflicted. Assuredly, they will. This episode was written, directed, and narrated by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Matt Black. Our theme song is by the wonderful Charlie P.S., this episode featured Kristen Holland as Dr. Keenly and Cole Weavers as Alderman LaPont and Alderman McCormick. To find more information 
or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website at thetownwhispers.com. Rate and review us online. Tweet us at The Town Whispers. Join us on Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Visit us on Facebook or email us at thetownwhispers at pulpaudio.ca. The Town Whispers is a serialized horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio, distributed by Callum Doherty of the Rusty Cool Network, and licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.